Hey guys, it's Narissa Sue, and welcome to the Lioness Method podcast for female business owners, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are passionate about growing their leadership skills, building amazing teams, and solving real life problems with a growth mindset. Again, I'm your host, Narissa Sue, and today we're going to have the pleasure of speaking with Lauren Brock, sorry, <laughs> from the advocacy group. Uh, the founder and CEO, and Lauren is no stranger to advocacy. It's her mission, her purpose, and her life's work. Lauren formed the advocacy group to provide the gold standard in advocacy services, and she developed TAG's range of offerings to specifically meet the needs of those struggling to help addicted loved ones who lack the experience to know whom to trust and where to turn for support. Uh, Lauren started on this path back in 2000, volunteering with Hollywood's homeless population, personally mentoring, mentored in advocacy by philanthropist Eileen Getty. Lauren met people from all walks of life, seeking services through Aileen's uh, Get Love organization. And as it scaled from a breakfast line to a full service day center, uh, she was working with homeless children and families. There was also Lauren's introduction, or this was also Lauren's introduction to her decades of work with foster youth and court advocacy. So please welcome uh, Lauren Brock. So hi, Lauren. Hi there, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm super excited to dig in and just learn more about you and your business. How are you feeling today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be sitting with you. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Can you hear me? Yeah, so I can. I can hear you. It's coming through nice and uh, clear at the moment. So I'd love to just uh, take a deep dive right in. I'm going to ask you a few questions so we can kind of get to know about uh, more about what you do. And I'd love to start with uh, who you serve and how you serve them. So we serve, um, mostly we serve uh, people who are struggling with addiction and mental illness, and then we serve their families. So um, generally when, uh, if you have a loved one who is, who is suffering from you know, addiction or mental illness, we help come in as opposed to Googling rehab. We can, um, you know, if you, if you Google rehab, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever Googled rehab. Um, there's about a million choices. There's a little way to differentiate. <laughs> Yeah, there's a million choices and they all kind of look the same. So we kind of can um, can kind of step in and help you navigate that road from kind of beginning to end. We kind of step in and help families and meet them, you know, wherever they're at and wherever their loved one is in, in that process from kind of beginning to end. Amazing. That It's so needed. I know with the pandemic, I feel like addiction has been kind of rampant and a little bit out of control. Uh, so it's a beautiful service that you're providing. Um, and yeah, I'm curious. Oh, go ahead. No, it, it, it has been. I think that um, you know, addiction, mental health, like it's it's um, you know, it's kind of a disease of isolation. You know, it's a disease of your. It's kind of um, it's something that wants you to be alone. It wants you to be suffering. And and the pandemic has just really heightened that. It really, it's you know, it it has people isolated and alone. And so it really has taken people who are already suffering and, and forced, um, it forces them into more isolation. And, um, and it's, 
it's really increased it and, and it's made it, um, you know, it's taken away people's ability to connect um, and, and um, it's magnified it on such a deeper level. And so people who, whether they were, you know, um, in beginning stages of addiction, I mean, it's just magnified it in such a, in such a deeper level for so many people. Absolutely. I was actually uh, speaking to uh, someone uh, earlier this week that was uh, supporting a loved one that felt that they were just doing just what you said. They were really isolating themselves and that the addiction really uh, took hold and escalated very quickly. Uh, and the family is in a place where they're not even sure how to support them You know, at this point. Like, what would be some of your best tips in supporting somebody that's in active addiction right now that maybe doesn't even is saying that they don't want help. You know, it's a it's a good question, and I think what's um, you know one of the things that is um, been so helpful about what we do. I think everybody is so different. You know, there there's um, and what's so complicated about you know addiction and how it has um, it's changed and manifested so much over the years is that we don't really see. A lot of just primary addiction anymore. There's been so many, so much mental health and dual diagnosis, um, you know, coupled with addiction. Um, and so we don't really see two people that are have the same struggling with the same thing, right? So um, we really take everything on a case by case issue. So so. Um, you know, one person is struggling with alcoholism. If somebody has just primary mental health, like everything is going to be different. Um, and so while one person, you can say, um, you know, maybe they, they would just need to, um, you know, start seeing a therapist or another person could maybe just start going to, um, meetings or another person, you know, just needs connection to family. Like, you know, it, it would depend on what the person needs, you know, and we really kind of, um, pride ourselves on being able to go in and sit with the family and do a proper clinical assessment and see what's going on and see what they, those needs are. Do they need an intervention? Do they need bringing that family together and seeing, you know, exactly what it is that they need um, and then taking them from beginning to end all the until we get all the way across the finish line and, and, and getting them to, you know, you know, what I always say is like the goal is for us to be unemployed. You know, we want to get them all the way across the end and into the, where we're out of a job at the end, you know. Mm -hmm. No, and that, I think that's so empowering for you to be edu. It sounds like you're educating the family on how to support that individual. Um, and also, um, what are some things that you recommend for the family as far as their self-care uh, during their support role of the person in addiction? I think the biggest piece for the family is education. You know, it's very difficult for families to understand what's going on. You know, and I, I think it's very confusing and, and very complicated because it's, um, you know, they don't understand if it's if it's a primary addiction, like why they, you know, their loved one just can't stop. You know, why are they, why can't they put down the thing that's harming them the most? You know, why don't they, mm -hmm. you know, if they're, isolated, if they're isolated, why don't they just come be part of the family again? Like, why have they changed so much? Why is the behavior changed? Like, what? what is going on with the love where they're not the same person that they used to be if it's their child, you know, why is their child not the same as they used to be, you know? And, and so, um, educating themselves on like what's going on, I think is the, um, is the best thing for the family to be able to do. And I think, um, one of the things that we, you know, really do is to make sure that the, um, that people that we are working with, you know, whether it's treatment centers or um, outpatient centers or therapists or doctors, clinicians, that they are providing families 
with that education. You know, we work, work with, I'm on the board of a nonprofit for adolescents who provide a, um, a free support group for parents on the weekends. And free is not something that you hear very often um, in in mental health, in, in addiction, in, in medical services that um, definitely, I mean, anywhere, I don't really hear free that often anywhere, but, um, but this group, One Recovery, they do um, free support groups for parents, and then they have free free groups for, for the children, for the kids, for the teenagers as well. Um, and I find that to be, you know, an incredible asset for families to be able to, one, share space with each other, you know, to be able to share their stories and, you know, either, you know, what they're going through with insurance or what they're going through with their, you know, teenagers or you know, with, not even just teenagers, but their, you know, their kids or um, their loved ones, um, and to be able to share their experience, shared experience. And in, in that space, I think is super, super helpful and to be able to provide um, places where they're also getting education. It's super important. No, I, I love that because I think what you said um, hits the nail on the head um, of a lot of the patients that I've, or clients rather that I've worked with in the past is, you know, they feel very misunderstood. And, um, and education, I think is definitely key in understanding that addiction takes over the person, right? It's like, a, you know, our cell phone getting getting a virus and then freezing up. It's, it's no yeah. longer a matter of choice anymore. It's the addiction has taken over that person's character, their personality, their behaviors. And so it's, it's not as simple as, oh, just put the bottle down or just walk away yeah. from whatever it is, right? Yeah. And as a parent, that, you know, you want to just keep, you know, your your whole goal in life is to keep your child safe, right? And and whether it's your whether it's your child or your husband or your sister or brother, you know, whatever it is, is you just want to you see your loved one struggling and suffering, and you just want to protect and keep them safe. And sometimes that can be while keeping them safe is obviously um, of the utmost importance. Sometimes when what you're doing, you think is keeping them safe is is can oftentimes be doing more harm than good. You know, like if you're, um, you know, putting money on the problem or, you know, you can be that enabling and oftentimes mm -hmm. be doing much more harm than good, you know? And so getting that education is absolutely. And, and I love that you're, oh. yeah, and the support. I oh, know I was just going to say that I love that you're offering resources too for the listeners that if they are going through this, then uh, what was the community groups that they could uh, contact? And I'll also put it in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one uh, one on campus is going to be like the Instagram handle. And in that Instagram handle, there's um, in the link tree, they has the, um, it will have all the, uh, the, the times of when this, when the groups are for, for adolescents and young adults. Um, and what's oh, great. Really great about that is, um, you know, it's, it's they, they're, um, they have like this inspiration is the new medication, right? So it kind of is meeting kids before they end up in treatment. You know, like what is it that inspires these kids? Like, do they want to be a director? Do you want to be a, um, you know, a, a, an actor or a painter? And they find these like conscious contributors in the community to come and speak to the kids and get them kind of motivated and, and, uh, and linked up with, you know, to find that inspiration. They're, they're kind of like bearing off into, you know, um, uh, not great. Mm -hmm. and then no, definitely. The and the, port, the parents definitely need education and support. And the other thing that you mentioned that I think is super important is community, right? Just having these conversations where 
you know, I feel like addiction is so misunderstood and uh, I feel like it's almost taboo. They're like, oh, that person's going to recovery, but actually it should be cause for celebration, right? In a very supportive, open process within the family and the people, um, you know, all involved because you, it really is a whole family healing together. It really is. It really is. And it's like the beginning of, you know, it can really be, if it's looked at in the, in, in, in the appropriate way, it's like, you know, the beginning of the rest of your life, you know, it really is. It's like, mm-hmm. stuff is like so over. It can be so rewarding, you know? Most definitely. It's a, it's a new beginning for sure. Well, I want to switch gears just a little bit. I know that uh, we could probably talk um, the whole time about this, but I want to get to know more about you and really uh, like what challenges did you need to overcome in order to start your business and to like, what was the driving force behind uh, creating the advocacy group? So, um, you know, I um, have been working in as an advocate and working in advocacy for um gosh you know i would say you know i've always been kind of doing advocacy work i've been um been working in as a volunteer and working in service um i think you know since i, I moved to los angeles and i won't even say how long ago that was because i don't want to get my, my <laughs> like it was stuff. just yesterday <laughs> was yesterday absolutely um and you know, but I never really did it as I didn't do it as a business. I just it was just something that I always did. And and um and, and that being said, you know, we have, there's a huge, you know, while we have we do this, you know, the addiction and mental health piece is is the um is the the piece the the main piece of what we do. We have a huge community service arm um, of our company, and and I believe that um you know service is the foundation of of all that is the foundation of all that we do. Um, and love is love and service is the foundation of everything that I do. And, um, and, you know, we do, um, micro fundraisers and toy drives and, um, food distribution. And we partner with, um, local organizations and bring in, um, our, you know, friends and community members. And we partner with their, um, local companies to partner with these organizations. And it's a huge part of what we do. And that's something that I have always been doing since I've moved here. And, um, when I, um, you know, I guess about, I want to say 12 years ago, I started volunteering with a nonprofit organization with, um, Eileen Getty. And it was a huge part of, um, of my recovery, my own personal recovery. And Mm. in doing that, I started, um, working about like I, it just started this like trajectory of like, um, in my life of, um, you know, where I, I, you know, I think, I guess how it started was this woman left her baby with me. Um, and then Mm. another woman left her baby. And that kind of began my journey of navigating, um, children's court and foster care. And, um, and then one of the women who had left her baby with me, um, some, some things happened and, um, and I ended up, you know, navigating, conservatorship court and mental health court and that that's you know kind of how my journey began and it's been um it's been a long road it's been it's been um, an, an intense road and um uh and then um it was i didn't really see it becoming a, a job um until you know just before the pandemic um until you know i had been working in entertainment for a long time and business that was always like my business was in, I, I learned business in entertainment 
um, and it wasn't really fulfilling me in the way that I wanted to be fulfilled, you know, and, um, you know, advocacy was always, it was just something that I was doing. And so turning and devoting my whole life to this, um, to this advocacy and to this work, um, you know, just seemed, it just, it it seemed like the the right thing to do. I was called to make that shift. And it sounds. Oh no! (laughs) No, that was perfect. And (laughs) I, I, I heard a few things in there. I'd love to dig into a little bit. First of all, I want to just acknowledge you for what a beautiful life of service that you've created, and all the different ways that you have uh, served children and just people in general, and that you have such a big heart uh, for service. Uh, and I also heard in the beginning that you know you uh, use service as a way to to also heal during your recovery journey, which I think is a really important uh, thing to expand on for the listeners and anybody that might be struggling with addiction right now. Is you know the best way to uh, begin to heal is to just get out and see where we're needed, right? Get get your feet on the ground and start doing things. And I'm always amazed by <laughs> your Instagram feed just how much you do out there in the community. You are always, uh, you know, have your hands on a project and you're out there meeting the community face-to-face, even through this pandemic, uh, which I I just admire so much. I just want to acknowledge you and just say, you know, thank you for for being such an amazing example and, uh, and just a testament to what can be done when we put our heart into our work. I think that's amazing. You know, I think one of the things that when I started this, that was like so important when, especially when we started this community arm is like, you know, I really believe, I truly, truly believe that people want to be of service, right? But they don't necessarily know how, like whether if you're like doctor, I have, you know, obviously in this industry, like I have a lot of friends who are doctors and clinicians and like, you know, they've worked mm-hmm. so hard and spent their life becoming, you know, becoming doctors and maybe they just don't have time to go do doctors without orders or, um, you know, mothers that want to volunteer and, and, and um, you know, at the hospital or at children's hospital, but the, the orientation is like once every six months and their kid has a recital that day. But, and people want to be of service, but they don't know how. And so the whole point of, of starting this community arm or one of the points was to gift people with the opportunity to be of service. And so that is- I love the, that. That's amazing. Is that's the point of this community arm is like, what is it that you want to do? And we're going to help you get there, right? So do you, do you want to, you know, um, you want to work with, you know, homeless women and children? Do you want to do, you know, food distribution? You want to do the toy drive? Like you want to, you know, help get your kids involved in service. You, you know, are you, you know, is it moms and that want to get their children involved? Is it, you know, whatever it is, we're going to gift you that opportunity. And that is our gift to the community is to help people um, with, you know, finding opportunities to be of service. And so, you know, wherever it is and wherever you are, we're going to meet you where you're at and help get you there. And so that's been, you know, it's been the big effort of, of what we're doing with that community arm. And I think we've done, we've done some really good work and it's one of my, um, one of the things that I'm the most proud of for sure. I love that. I can hear the passion in your voice. Yes. And what a resource <laughs> for people. <laughs> I'm like the that fire's works. coming out, girl. I can feel it over here. <laughs> Well, where do you get all the inspiration and and the passion for this work? Like, where does that come from? You know, I would definitely say like more than inspiration, it is passion. You know, I'm so passionate about it. Like it's not, um, 
you know, that passion comes from, you know, when a, you know, a family who is, you know, you see a family that's struggling or suffering and when, you know, their, their loved one gets better or gets well, or even just gets, you know, their love, you know, somebody is just like adamant about like, I am not, don't want help. I'm not going to treatment. And then you, and then they go, you know, or the mm. light goes on, you know, that when that light goes on and you mm. see them switch, you know what I mean? That, that it's not even like, it's not even about, yeah, like, I know, I know exactly gonna, what you're describing. You literally yeah. see the light go on in their eyes and you're like, Oh my God, there you are. There it is. There it is. And it's not even about like the stopping the substances, right? Because it's like without substances, you're still, you're still, there's still an emptiness, but it's that connection to source, right? And whatever, the, whatever source it is, right? Whether it's God, universe, whether either you don't believe in whatever it is, it's that connection back to that, you know, the human connect back to connection, right? Because there's this vacancy when you are in your illness, you know, within when you're in this disease, whether it's, you know, when you're in your addiction, you're in your, um, in the, the, the throes of mental illness, you are disconnected from your family. You're disconnected from community. You're disconnected from source, like, you know, from God, a higher power, from whatever that it, you're disconnected. And so when you are on a path of, of wellness, you are about that connection comes back and the light goes on, you know, mm -hmm. and to, see people get reconnected. I mean, there is nothing. I, I did not find that working on a set, you know, and I got to tell you, I worked with some pretty incredible people, you know, like my, I had some huge successes working in entertainment. I worked with some really incredible people um, and had some major wins uh, in my job, in, in my past career in, but there was nothing like that. Nothing like that. Nothing like seeing a mother whose child gets their life back. Nothing. Mm. That's it. You're describing miracles. It's the miracles. And it really yeah. is a miracle of, of just rediscovering the, like you said, the connection with source again, and whatever that means, you know, to you individually, because I think everybody, I believe that everyone's relationship with God is a personal one or their higher power. Um, yeah. But it is, I mean, there's, there's no greater feeling than, than seeing that connection. And what a, what a beautiful gift to give to people. And the thing that you're describing right now, just uh, with your corporate life, where you had all these wins, where you were really in your, your level of excellence, right? You're in your lane of excellence. And then it sounds like you kind of hit a wall and you're like, you know, even though I can do this with my eyes closed, I'm having all these big wins, it still wasn't fulfilling. And so it sounded like you reached even higher, probably wasn't with a little outside of your comfort zone to really step into your zone of genius, right? Uh, and yeah. and living there, at that, I think that that's what sets your passion on fire. And uh, is that does that resonate with you? It does, you know, I mean, there's something about you know, working in this in entertainment where, you know, everything is like very paper thin, you know, it's like, it can just disappear in, in an instant. And, and, and while like, um, again, you know, I was, I was working, 
I, I don't, I, I, I was, I, I, I was, you know, doing very well in, in doing very well in, in where I was and, and, and was, was being treated well. And I was very happy. There just wasn't this, you know, there, there was like this, um, they were like people's you're running on people's like emotion right of like at the top mm -hmm. and, and and people's like this there's like a level of insecurity and like um not uh nothing was like didn't feel like real you know based in like mm -hmm. realness and while there's a lot of um of uh high stress and high emotion and like you know like a win in here is like someone's life do you know what i mean like i don't i don't want to mm -hmm. you know it's like i, I say like you know, when you are, I compare this to like, it's like, you know, if, like a car salesman, right? If somebody wins their job at selling a car, they win mm -hmm. selling a Nissan, right? Like for me, a loss is like a life. Like, you know what I mean? It's like such, there's so much to lose. And so there's so much intensity in this, you know, but, um, and then in, you know, in entertainment, there just wasn't like the win was just, there was just nothing. There was no, we, there was no real win you know what I mean like there just didn't feel just didn't feel like a win in my soul um and mm -hmm. and and so um you know I just think it's always been this has just always been in my heart you know I can remember um you know when I was seven when we would come home um, from church, I lived in this like in a in a in a small town, and there would always be this. Um, we would drive by this McDonald's, and there would always be like a homeless person sitting outside the McDonald's. And my brain could not wrap around the fact that there was like somebody that did not have a home, and mm -hmm. people would just drive by. You know, like it just I couldn't, I couldn't like it would it would sit in. I would have anxiety about it constantly. And that has never gone away. Like it's never gone away when I, and it, which is really difficult living in Los Angeles because I live, you know what I mean? There's just so this homeless situation is just, it's overwhelming. It's just unfathomable, I mean, it, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 I just can't. And so to like, I cannot drive by a homeless person sitting in a wheelchair and like I, my, my body, my heart, my soul cannot understand. Like I, I can't reconcile that. And so in my community, like I know we have a, we have an ongoing project going on with the homeless in our community. And I go out and feed people on, you know, regularly throughout the week because I need to know who and where and why and what, you know, like who they are, what's going on. Are they okay? Like I, I can't reconcile. It's just, it's too much. Mm -hmm. And, and I can't know that about everybody. You know, I can't know about the 68,000 homeless people in Los Angeles, but in my community, like when I'm driving by every day, like I can know, you know, at least I know who the people, you know, what's going on in my community, you know, and I can talk mm -hmm. about it and I can encourage people because it like, I don't know. Like, I just think that there's like, you have to put up this armor just to go out and get a coffee, you know, mm -hmm. and at least if you know, you know, okay, that's Mike or that's Johnny or that's Will or that's, you know, you know, what's going on with the people. Like it kind of can soften you a little bit to know, okay, you know, Johnny's okay. And he's like, what the, you know, and then, and maybe if they're not okay, you can provide some sort of like service, you know, to, to maybe help them help somebody help Johnny be okay. You know, um, mm -hmm. because these are people in our community you know, that we have, that we, we share. These are our community members, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that so is such I an LA thing. That is such an LA thing to step over somebody that's homeless and go to like a, you know, five-star 
dining experience, right? And I think uh, what you're talking about is humanizing your community, right? And I think that if we had, yeah. I, I really believe if more people had the attitude that you did, that we would really create a whole different world just by looking at how we can affect our 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 immediate um, environment, our immediate community, you know, and just doing and doing like small gestures even to help out. Yes, and I think we have to, because if we're waiting for Garcetti to do something, if we're waiting for Gavin to do something, <laughs> we are going to it's be- It's not gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not, it's absolutely not. You know, I heard, I, I was, um, which was screening of this, um, this documentary that we're gonna hopefully be screening soon um, called Bedlam, which was, it's just, it, it absolutely took my breath away. And um, and John Sharon, who's the medical director of the Department of Mental Health, he, he said, you know, if you are waiting for the government to fix this situation, you will be waiting forever. You know, it is it is yeah. the responsibility of act as a community to start taking part in doing something. And you know, I mm -hmm. look at like the next door app, you know, on this on my next door app. And I don't know if it's just the neighborhood that I live in, which I am actively looking to move out of my neighborhood because my neighbors are such they are like terrorists. Like they are oh, some no. people in the community, the way they talk about the homeless in this community. And I don't know if it's just because they're hiding behind keyboard, but it is some of the worst, um, some of the worst stuff. It's, it's, it's appalling, you know, it's just appalling. And I don't know where it, it would be better, you know, and in this, mm -hmm. if there definitely is, um, you know, it's terrible what's going on with this, with this, the, the homeless in this community. And I don't have the answer. I just know what I can do to try to, for me, you know, mm -hmm. what makes, what I can do you know, as one person. So, I don't know. Exactly. Well, and I think what, what you just described to us is the answer that every single one person, if one, every person who hears this uh, makes a commitment to you, just doing some small gestures, taking the time that they have to go an extra mile just to check on somebody, to humanize somebody rather than just drive by somebody in distress or to take a moment to find a resource. Uh, that that in itself makes a huge uh, difference. Just in, in reminding uh, people that are homeless that they are human beings because they want they want to be acknowledged, they want to be seen and heard and, and, and just like everybody else, right? And I think that um, the people that you're describing that are are basically treating them as if they're not human and and desensitizing um you know to their own needs i think that that's what's creating the greater problem and i really love that riff because there's you know what you just said is so important because i think a lot of people get caught up in this thought i have a lot of i talk about this a lot right and people think well i don't want to give money because they're just going to use it for drugs or i don't have i can't afford to like buy food for somebody every time i like walk out of a gas station i'm getting hit up for whatever so you know there's what you just said is so important right it's that active like there's so much in just not looking past something you know there's so much just just this this the, the act of eye contact and a smile and even if like, or just in just saying like, I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have cash on me right now. The, the small act of acknowledgement is such a huge thing, you know, mm -hmm. or what, and, and then to go a step further, what I, what I always do is carry, um, I always carry socks, right? Because socks are, are huge, um, of, of huge value, 
right? And I get them, I can, you can order them online, you can get them um, in, in downtown or whatever, but black socks, not white socks, black socks, because they're like, um, you know, it's like 50 cents a pair or something, you can buy them in bulk. And I always will just hand out socks because it's, it's, um, it's like giving away 50 cents, you know, it's not, you're not giving out money. Mm -hmm. If you have a judgment around money, you're not giving out money. Um, and, and, and nobody, if people say, I try to give away my food and they always, and people turn away food, no one's going to turn away your socks. No one turns mm -hmm. away socks. Um, but those, those are really two things that I, what I, that I could suggest is, and is that just eye contact, mm -hmm. a smile and interaction that costs you nothing, you know, exactly. Kindness costs nothing. I love that. Kindness costs nothing. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Awesome. Well, with all of the heavy things that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, because you deal with a lot, <laughs> I've heard some of your stories, and it, you live an intense life of, of service. And uh, so what do you do to maintain your clarity? Are there any practices that you do or what keeps you grounded? My clarity? Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, you know, I um, started uh, a pretty, I guess, I, I think maybe I would say regimented, like a, a pretty um, strong, I, I don't, strong regimented, I don't know what the right word is, but a, a, a mm -hmm. um, pretty strong meditation practice mm -hmm. a couple years Beautiful. ago. Um, I was going through a, a pretty difficult time pre-pandemic. Um, and I mean, like a really difficult time and, um, I was going through some transitions in my life and it was before I, um, had started this company. I was, I was working in this profession still, but I was going through some serious transitions and, um, I've been working, doing some stuff and spending a lot of time in Haiti for a lot of years and my partner, um, who I've been working with, uh, he was a very, um, offering me a lot of support during that time. And, um, and he, I don't know if you remember, there was like a, those two planes that crashed um, a couple of years ago, that Ethiopian Airlines crash and, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I can't remember where the other one was in Thailand or something, but he was on that Ethiopian Airlines crash. And uh, it, it completely changed everything. It just, my whole world stopped. And um, it changed like the way that I was speaking, the, my words, like the way that I was talking to myself, the words that I was saying, like everything in my body changed cellularly. Um, mm. And the, what I was saying, um, the words that I was saying to myself, the words that I was saying, like that I was putting out into the world, I think like I would say, I would always, because I was in this great, like this weird depression, I would just be like, I'm going to die. I would just be saying like these, these, a lot of a negative dialogue and the words just changed. I and mean, it was like instant. Um, mm -hmm. And I do, I, I feel that the presence is like a big piece of that. Um, and then I, and I started this meditation practice um, fairly instantly when he passed and everything changed from in that moment, like in pretty much in that moment. Um, and, and that's um, been a huge part of, I think um, my work, it's been a huge part of like what I've drawn into my life. Like, um, you know, there's been so much abundance has come into my life 
since with this meditation. And also I feel like I have this person who has been such a huge part of my service. You know, he was my, my partner in service and I feel like he's with me like always. And I think that's been a huge part of everything. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I bet there's a lot of people that are listening that have gone through um, a, a grief and, and just struggle and just hearing how you persevered and, and how important how we speak to ourselves is that um, that inner dialogue, it's also got to be kind. So even if we're outwardly kind to other people, you know, when we're in times of turmoil and being tested, so to speak, that um, that inner dialogue has got to, that game has got to get even tighter, that we are our own personal cheerleader, that we are feeding ourselves positivity and using meditation to really ground and take back the focus. 100%. 100%. I think I, I take that into my, into everything, you know, like, like I think even as much as like, you know, we're talking about it in speaking with homeless people, like I take that into, you know, I go to the, a lot of the same places regularly. Like I go to the same gas station, I go to the same coffee shops, I go to, you know, I go to the same restaurants and, and I'm always, um, you know, I always make eye contact and talk to people at the gas station, you know, at the market, at the, because you think about like, how many people go into the gas station and are just on the phone or just, you know, they don't. And so I know, you know, the guy at the gas station, I know, you know, how many kids he has, where they go to school, you know, their, his kids' names, you know, where, you know, when they're graduating, when they've graduated, you know, I, I make it, make it an effort to have interactions with people that I see on a daily basis. So I think it, it makes a difference. And it makes So I think we're we're losing it your connection a little bit. Feel better in my day to have the those interactions. I think those mm -hmm. things are so um so important. And mm -hmm. for me it adds it adds a lot of value to my day as well. And it I think it's something that that's so easily oh yes I can hear you now it was coming in a little bit coming in and out a little bit but I I understood what you're conveying which is you know really about the human connection piece which I know in this in the beginning of the conversation you said um, that you in addiction people are feeling isolated right and um, I think everybody's feeling isolated to some yeah. degree and the ways that we can combat that that feeling of isolation and disconnection. Or is exactly what you're saying. What you're describing now is just taking the time to connect with whoever is in front of you, and you know, making eye contact with them. I love that so much. And again, back to that kindness. Kindness costs nothing, right? Kindness is free, but it, it's so meaningful uh, when we actually look each other in the eye and just acknowledge the acknowledgement that there's another human being on the other side of that counter of somebody that's you know providing a service for you because as you ultimately you don't know what they're really going through or what they were struggling with at home or what's going on in their heart 
right? And so just that small act of kindness can make a huge impact, not only for ourselves, so we feel more connected, but also for the other person that's providing this, uh, that's just standing there in front of you, right? 100%, 100%, absolutely. You did hear me. Yes, yeah. Uh, it came in and out a little bit, but I totally have like, I got you, girl. I know what you're saying. I, I hear you. I can feel it coming through. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I know that we're we're coming up to the end, uh, so I'm going to ask you just one more question, and uh, and this one is is really just about you know what's your biggest challenge right now. Uh, that if if it were solved, you would be able to earn more money, have more time for yourself, or just freedom in general. If it was say that, that again, my biggest challenge of what? That if it were solved, you'd be able to earn more money or time or freedom, whatever is most uh, dear to you right now. Like what's your biggest challenge? Because I know every entrepreneur is always a, uh, juggling multiple things, right? So it's a, I hate the word balance because I don't think we ever achieve balance. I think that's a fable, <laughs> but I think we can certainly look for some harmony in our lives. And, and part of that comes with focusing on, on what's important to us. You know, I think um, my biggest challenge right now is, uh, is is um is really trying to is with with covid um how seeing how this how we're going to transition out of this you know because, because again like i said with, with the 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 type of clients that i deal with they're battling a disease that wants them dead or completely isolated mm -hmm. and so coming off of a year of isolation getting people, um, you know, out of that mode of isolation. I think we have yet to see, you know, the effects of this past year. Um, we have no idea how this was going to impact us uh, as a nation and as a world. You know, I think that the, the ramifications of this um, are going to be so long. Mm -hmm. you know? um, it's huge. It's going to be a generational thing when we look at the way it affects our kids and and people in active addiction yeah. out of, yeah. 100%. I mean, I've got so many, you know, I was over at, um, at uh, Audubon Middle School in Crenshaw the other day and um, with the vice principal and she's, you know, a lot of their kids aren't coming back to school. They're all on the, the iPads. Um, and she said they're dealing with so much mental health issues um, mm. and they don't have the resources. They just don't have the resources. And in this is, this is one school, you know, and, and I just think we just have no idea, you know, and I have so many kids who are, you know, they're buying and selling um, pills on, on um, Snapchat. There's no regulation of Snapchat. I've got kids overdosing. I've got families who have lost children to this. I've got kids who have overdosed the way fent with the, the fentanyl is just, I mean, we are, it is an epidemic. It is just mm -hmm. with no control. And so between those things, between with the Snapchat and the fentanyl and the isolation and the COVID, I just think we have, and I don't think it's being talked about. 
you know, I think mm-hmm. that I am, I'm, I'm not a COVID denier by any means. I think that COVID is, mm-hmm. um, you know, I understand the severity of that, but I don't think that there is enough attention being paid to the severity of fentanyl, how these kids are getting a hold of it. Um, mm-hmm. the, how are they getting a hold of it? I'm really curious. They're getting it on, I mean, they're, they're moving it around to each other on, on Snapchat. Hmm. They're getting it to each other. They're, they're, getting, they're not just getting it like from their parents anymore, which is like scarier. They're getting it like, and it's, it's, they're buying it, um, you know, from these dealers and, and it's impressing it on their own. It's being pressed with fentanyl and it's just wiping out slaves of children. Wow. I had no idea. How, um, well, this is a really important topic. Do you have, um, any tips or any identifiers for parents that might have, and at what age range are you seeing this first? Um, and then do you have any advice for parents who are listening that have kids in that age range to kind of, you know, keep a, an eye out? You know, I have, I believe, and it's not, I, I, people have differing opinions, but I believe in looking at what the monitoring your kids' phones, devices, 150%, mm-hmm. because while a lot of, you know, parents or therapists think like that kids should have their own privacy, like, I mean, I mean, you can give your kids privacy, and, and I mean, but you're at risk, like, they could also die, you know, at the risk of having, I mean, what do you, do you want your kids to have privacy, or do you want them to be alive, is my theory, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I come from that school of thought, like, I would prefer my kid to be alive than to be, because it's yes. it would be a grave <laughs> mistake. Like I just, I can't, I can't even imagine I, I, being in that situation. I, I just, I just can't even fathom that. And, and because it only takes one time, and that's the problem. Is it's not like your kid doesn't have to be showing signs or like out there partying or on drugs. It takes one time, and it is over. You know, mm. you don't have to have a kid who is, you know, I think he's smoking pot or he's partying with his friends. One time, one time, and I got families who it was one time. Mm-hmm. And I've got there's kid and, and you know talking with this principal, there it's happening in fifth grade. Oh and my god, that's so young. Grade. Fifth grade. Having these issues, yes, that these kids are starting to show signs of you know of depression and and, and um you know that are having these issues in fifth grade. Mm-hmm. It is it's And again, like it's it's going to it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse as we see the ramifications of what this like this year of isolation has done, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't think that not to like uh, like a, a you know to be scare tactic or I don't think fifth grade is the norm, but yeah. it is happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but middle school is where it's starting, and fifth grade is just right before middle school, right? Because it's six, seven, and eight, and that's mm-hmm. where it's really starting to to happen kids in middle school it's not just high school anymore it's in middle school um, wow. where the exposure is happening you know um, so well you know as a parent I mean my son is only six years old but I can already see that um, being really involved in your child's education and everything that they're doing is so important and I think if there's anything that pa- the pandemic taught me as a parent is that there is no hands-off parenting <laughs> there is not like if you're a responsible parent, um, you know, I really believe that you have to step in and be involved in, yes, we've had to be the teacher and the driver and the cook and and then also have full-time jobs. Uh, 
but our kids also need a higher you know level of touch and a higher level of attention and care that um that this pandemic has just shed a light on because i think it's always been that way but um but yeah i think even more reason as a parent to really make sure that your your eyes are in everything that they're doing yeah, and I think you know, knowing knowing who their your their friends' parents are, having a constant like open dialogue with their with their friends. Um, one of the one thing I will say that like just to, I want to get this in there is this whole myth of like um, as long as they're doing it at home, like smoking pot, the smoking pot thing. Like I cannot with this. Like that that like you know I don't believe in the criminalization of of drug. I mean that's another topic, but like yeah, like, smoking weed like. Because weed is not the weed that like we were smoking or our parents were smoking. Like it is completely mm -hmm. unregulated and the chemicals that are in this weed, it is, I mean, there's more kids with drug-induced states of psychosis in the hospitals right now from the mar from marijuana and weed than there is from crystal meth or any other drugs right now. So, and it's so strong. It's strong. It's not like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's incredibly strong. It's causing psychosis in kids, and some of the damage is irreparable. You know, these kids mm -hmm. are not um, able to. To they're it's damaging their brains, and that's not, and they're not coming back. It's doing permanent damage. Mm -hmm. um, so that that myth that like it's just weed, it is not. It's not a. It's not a true story. Mm -hmm. No. Did I lose you? I, no, I'm here. No, I'm listening. Did I lose I'm you just... on my weed PS? No, <laughs> no, not at all. Marijuana PSA in there? No, I I agree because it's very it is, important PSA. It's very important. Like, it is, and I completely agree because it, it's not the same as when we were growing up. You know, I mean the 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 stuff that they're producing now. I mean, is it's it's a whole different animal. And even though it's becoming legalized in a lot of ways, it's still not for kids. None of it. I mean, I, I as an adult, I really. I don't partake, right? Uh, but I just think that if we can just encourage our kids to feel good in a healthy way, uh, and, and maintain um, our our participation in their life, and just watch that closely, and and yeah, kids, I think they just naturally want to experiment, and you know, we don't want to buckle down so hard that they become rebellious. But it is also, like you said, about addiction. We just have to be educated and we have to be ready. And we've got to let our kids know that there is permanent uh, repercussions for, for some of the actions that they, they might think is just for fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they have to, I mean, they need to be able to learn how to use their internal coping mechanisms, you know, and be able to, mm -hmm. to, to use those muscles, you know, and completely hinders their ability to use their, you know, their frontal lobes. Like it's just, it just cuts everything off. It's terrible. It's, it's really, mm -hmm. really bad. The damage is being done. I'm like, that is a whole nother talk. We have got to do another a session just about to get those, being, like, the, the, uh, mirroring. the what? The mirroring app? Say it again. Say it again. Uh, oh, I said, uh, we'll have to do a whole nother episode. Yeah, on there's a lot of like apps so that you can watch on your kids. Yeah, for sure, yeah, hundred percent. There's, but there's apps that you can use to um, be able to monitor your kids' phones, and I definitely encourage that. You know. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Well, I will definitely put. Uh, you said the mirroring app. Or is it just called that, or is there one in particular? 
there's apps that you can do to be able to monitor your kids' phones. Okay. All right. Um, well, that's that's good to know because that's something I wasn't actually uh, aware of. So I, know, I think a lot of parents out there would find yeah. that useful. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I know it, we're coming up on an hour here and we have so many amazing things that you've shared about today. And I, I am just honored that you would share your story, your background, and just, you know, sharing some tips with us on how to uh, work with loved ones that are in addiction, your work with homeless, the homeless population, which is also part of our greater community. And then also with our kids. So I think there's just so many different ways that, that you offer resources to the community. How can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? Um, they can go to my website or they can actually call me directly. I can, is there a, a thing that you can put in the, on here? Yeah, or? so I can, I can drop that in the show notes. And then um, what's your Instagram if they wanted to follow you on Instagram? Uh, the Instagram and the website is all the same. It's the the advocacy group dot co is the is the Instagram and it's also the same as, as the website. It's not it's, it can we get very confusing. It's not dot com. It's dot co, but uh, okay. it's all the same. The Instagram and the website. Amazing. Well, thank you again. I've really enjoyed this chat, and uh, we thank will until next time for. Of course. I appreciate you so much. And for everybody that's listening, if you listened all the way to the end, we really appreciate you. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast so we can bring you more great content. And if you have questions for Lauren, feel free to reach out to her directly. I'm also always available to you at risk at narissasue.com. And finally, I want to invite you, if you're listening right now, to join my breathwork circle. We have it every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, and it is a, a women's circle that is available that I do as a, a love offering for the community, for women, uh, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and just anybody that wants to come and decompress and really get clear. Because I definitely believe that when we get clear, we are unstoppable. So until next time. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Yes, Lauren's been to the Women's Breathwork Circle. So, it's and it's, it's something I absolutely love to do. Yep, it's a game changer. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, until next time, we'll say goodbye and live in gratitude, stay connected, and be lights.